We have the privilege this morning to actually have uh, Joel Cho is going to be preaching uh, this morning. And many of you had a chance to see his article in the bulletin last week that we attached to our bulletin. If not, we, uh, we actually, in an earlier email, we sent that out. Uh, Joel had written an article this past summer for the Gospel Coalition um, on dying as a person of faith. And so uh, Joel has been a blessing to me personally, uh, both uh, as a friend, um, as a brother in Christ, um, and as a doctor. And so I met Joel in 2015, actually uh, the first week in April. And uh, Joel was assigned to me at the time when I found out that I had a heart valve infection. And I'll share with you a really brief story um, about Joel was that Joel was not the first doctor assigned to me. Joel is, you, you were initially one of the original, one of the original hospitalists, right? In the hospital program at Kaiser. Is that correct? And the kind of first group, yeah, okay. and uh, and so uh, that was long before I got there. It was a number of years before that. Um, but uh, I had had the opportunity of witnessing to a doctor who was uh, who was uh, caring for me, and so Joel popped in on a given day, and it was a day that I was actually hurting pretty bad. And um, Joel walked in and said, "Good morning, Pastor Tim." And I looked at him and I. I remember thinking in my mind, who is this guy that's happy, like really joyful? It wasn't necessarily, I was hurting and I was, I was really uncomfortable and I was like, ah, good morning. And, and we had a very brief conversation, but as he left the room, I remember I turned to Lisa and I said, this man knows Jesus. I don't know how I can show you that, except that I know that he knows Jesus. So the next day when Joel came in my room, we struck up a conversation and it opened the, the, the opportunity to begin talking about the Lord and uh, a shared acquaintance of his pastor and at that time. And, and we just began a friendship from there out. And uh, Joel has been, and I share this as much for you, Lizzie and Danielle. Um, both of his daughters are here with us today as well. And I share this so that you know that your dad is making an impact at the place that he's working for the Lord. And truly God placed him in my life at a time that I needed another brother in Christ with me in that. And so he has been that for me. And then over the last eight years, as we've journeyed along, um, that he's just been a presence in my life, uh, being able just to, we don't get an opportunity to see each other often, um, but when we do, it's an opportunity to, to pray for one another, to, to greet one another, and to be present with one another. Um, and so we're blessed to have Joel preach this morning. So I'm going to ask Joel to come up, and, uh, and he's going to be preaching this morning out of Mark chapter 10. But let's pray for Joel as he, uh, as he comes up. Lord, I thank you uh, for the, the blessing that we have in Christ. That, Lord, you, um, you have blessed us with your church, with, God, those who have repented and believed on you for salvation. Father, I thank you for those that you have, um, God, placed within the medical field who are, who are proclaiming your truth, not just in the words, but, God, in, in their presence. And so... Father, we pray that you would continue to empower his work as a doctor, continue to empower his work as a husband, as a father, and as a man who is after your own heart. So, Father, I pray that you would bring your word through him, and may your spirit flow through him freely this morning. May your word penetrate deep into our hearts, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tim, for that warm introduction. I'm on, right? Okay. All right, good morning, Redemption Hill. 
Uh, so nice to uh, be here and worship with you. It's really, actually, really nice to see Tim without his hospital gown and wearing regular clothes. Uh, such a joy. And um, to see here, uh, to see you, the church that he so often talked about it, that, I, that he loves. So it's such a privilege. So thank you for inviting me. Now, today's text comes from Mark chapter 10, the famous story of Bartimaeus. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the New Testament. And it's one of the best word picture, if you can keep that word in mind, word picture of who our God is. So as we read this text together, um, what I'd like to ask of you is that not, you don't just focus on the facts, but open your heart and imagine that you're there. You're actually seeing this event unfold because it will be important so that to have our hearts engaged as we read this text so that we may see just how glorious and how beautiful our God is. Amen. Okay, um, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. In honor of God's word, because you all rise if you are able. And I'll read it from ESV. And they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, a son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called a blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man asked him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's word. Could we pray? <clears throat> Father, as we reflect on this story, I pray that you will open our hearts. Allow me, Lord, to fade back into the background so that we may only see you in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Three whys. Why did Bartimaeus come to Jesus? Why did Jesus heal Bartimaeus? And third, why did Bartimaeus follow Jesus after being healed? Those three questions. Why did Bartimaeus come to Jesus? Why did Jesus heal Bartimaeus? And why did Bartimaeus follow Jesus after being healed? Those are the three questions we're going to address today. First, why did Bartimaeus come to Jesus? Well, that sounds like an obvious question, right? To be healed. It's like going to the hospital because you want to get well. Now, it may not be that simple, though. Imagine you're there at this moment. This was probably uh, early spring in Palestine, and I'll tell you how I know that a little bit later. Nice warm weather, just like it is outside. Not too hot, not too cold. And on this dusty road of Jericho, the streets are just packed. Because, you know, Jesus, he's the biggest thing in town, right? 
He's the biggest rock star, as if like downtown of Santa Rosa, Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift showed up. <laughs> what kind of mayhem it would be. And everyone's got their phone out, taking selfies, the flashes are going off. And he's got this huge entourage, the 12 disciples. They're like the bodyguards trying to squeeze through the street that's completely packed with people. And on that street corner way over there, there's this blind beggar, a social outcast. Now, at this moment, nobody cares that he's there. He's completely invisible. Well, oh, actually, that's not true. He is visible. People notice him, but only in this sense. That is a, that's the guy that you want to avoid, you know? The dirty, smelly, blind beggar, you know? The, you know, the type of person that you kind of walk across the street when you're walking because you don't want to be too nearby. Now, he wasn't born blind, verse 51. He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Maybe at one point he had a normal life. He had a family, he had friends, had jobs. All that's gone now. And perhaps he's been on this street corner for many days because everyone knew him as Bartimaeus the blind beggar. You know that guy? Now, it's so tragic, you know, when we see Bartimaeus around us all the time, uh, you know, nowadays. I work in San Francisco, so there's a lot of Bartimaeus around me. And it's so tragic now, but back then it was even worse. In that highly religious society with all the religious stigma attached to it, you're, if you're blind, if you're disabled, you're, you're considered cursed by God. You're unclean. You know, you have the ability to infect others. It's like having COVID perpetually. You know, in, in John 9, the blind man, even his parents didn't want to recognize who that was. Just don't want to have to deal with that kind of disability, that kind of curse. Bartimaeus was somebody that was truly not wanted by anyone, anywhere. Now, let's think for a moment. Maybe, hopefully, not to this extent. But we know what it's like to be not wanted, don't we? To walk into a room and you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm not wanted here. Or perhaps in a relationship or in a situation, whatever that is. And you know that feeling of just discomfort and like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't really want to be here because I'm not wanted, that feeling? That's every once in a while for most of us. Unless you're incredibly popular and never been rejected by anybody. It's, for the most part, it's just every once in a while for us. But for Bartimaeus, this is every waking moment of his life. Do you know what I mean? The moment he opens his eyes, he's reminded, oh, wait, I can't see. I'm blind. I'm cursed. Nobody wants me. Only place that, that I could be is on that street corner. Now, talk about insecurity complex this, this man must have. Now, if we consider all that... It's no small feat that Jesus actually came publicly in front of everybody. Meaning he had actually had the audacity to come. Now maybe somebody might say, well, you know, maybe he was just a crazy man, mentally unstable. Not so. You know, you can tell by his answers. They were very exact. And when Jesus called, he left his cloak, he sprang up and started to walk. It's very deliberate, sound actions. Now, maybe another person might say, but Jesus could heal him. How do you know? He's never met Jesus. 
You know, uh, Jesus does not, Jesus is not a miracle vending machine. He does not heal everybody. Um, remember, when, when he was at his hometown, he, he said he feel, uh, healed only, only a few because of their lack of faith. We ought not underestimate the power of self-consciousness. Let me ask this question in another way. If you were Bartimaeus, a dirty, smelly, blind beggar, when everybody else is telling you to shut up and go away, would you have the courage to go up? I don't think I would. Have you ever seen anyone like this, like walk up to a rock star and take a selfie with them? No, it just doesn't happen. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Bartimaeus is the only person who had the audacity to walk up to Jesus like this for himself. Now, we have plenty of other people who bring their family members, their friends, so forth, but it's only Bartimaeus who publicly came and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a whole other thing to risk your entire self-worth, your dignity, whatever that's left. When no one else is with you, no one else wants you. With all eyes on him, though he's blind, he can feel everybody just looking at him with his smelly, dirty clothes, um, matted hair, bad breath because he can't afford toothpaste. Cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <clears throat> now, at this moment, you think some of his old friends might come to his rescue. But instead, rather than trying to have compassion for him, they all told him to just shut up. Shut up, man. What are you doing? Jesus, he's an important person. You are not. Okay, now maybe you feel like Jairus or the centurion, one of those important people. Perhaps. Maybe you can, ask, you can dare to ask favor from Jesus. But not you, man. Why should anybody care about you? Just shut up and go away, you blind beggar. That's the, that's, that's the reception that he got. Verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. That's got to hurt. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So the question is, where on earth this blind, homeless, cursed man get the confidence that Jesus would actually accept him? Where did he get this audacity? You know, I've been studying this text all week, and I don't know. Maybe then again, this insane courage, could this be that because God was already working in his heart, that miracle had already happened? In other words, we assume that the miracle happens when Bartimaeus opens his eyes, but I think actually miracle had happened before, that though he was blind, he was already starting to see Jesus of Nazareth when he had no reason to hope, when nothing good had happened to me in a long, long time. Against all hope, he found himself crying out to Jesus. Against all hope, he actually started to believe that, oh, if I only go to Jesus, he won't turn me away. He won't treat me like other people. He won't tell me to shut up. See, Bartimaeus, he had no humanly logical reason to trust that Jesus was for him. So that miracle of 
Bartimaeus putting trust in Jesus when he had no human reason to do so, that unreasonable trust, that's what Bible calls faith. See? Now, there's a lesson behind this. And chances are, a crowd of this size, maybe not everybody's a Christian, and maybe some of you are on that journey to seek out if this Christianity thing is real or not. First of all, thank you so much for coming. And I'm sure you didn't come to hear me speak, so you're going to have to come back next week to hear the real preacher speak. <laughs> but I'd like to humbly ask you this question. Why are you here? It's a fine day outside in this beautiful Sonoma County. There are plenty of nice things to do. Was there some tug on your heart? Maybe a thought? Some sort of situation? Whatever that led you to be at this place to worship with Redemption Hill. Maybe that is the Spirit of God already working in your, uh, in your life. Wooing you to say, consider me. I am the Messiah. And now for the Christians... Simply recognize what an incredible gift faith is, Ephesians 2.8. You know, I made my confession of faith uh, during my first and second year of medical school, June 26, 1994. I still remember that day. And that day, I too, like Bartimaeus, cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all, for many years, I thought I had done it. And it was. It was my decision. Nobody coerced me. Nobody forced me. It was my decision, but the longer I live as a Christian, the more clearly I see that there was even deeper reality that happened on that day. See? That was the day that God did a miracle in my heart. Because the longer I live, the more I see the power of our flesh, our sin, it is so strong that we have this inherent desire to not go over the control of our lives. You know, it's not an intellectual thing, mainly. It's more, more at the heart level. You know, at, every ounce of my being don't want to have anything to do with God. I just want to reject God. That's my flesh. Paul said in second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them. And then Paul goes on to say, unless God does a miracle in our hearts by the Spirit of God, we have no chance, no chance whatsoever to see Jesus. We're all born spiritually blind. We can look at God's Word, we can open the Bible, and it will just sound like nonsense. And think of it like this. You know, uh, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, perhaps you haven't thought like this for a while, but have you thought how insane Christianity is. I mean, think about our confession that we actually believe a man died, was in a tomb for three days, and came back to life. That is the basis of our confession. I don't see that ever happening in my hospital. It's insane. And yet... Here we are. Like the saints have gathered for over 2,000 uh, years, over and over, confessing, yet again on another Sunday, gathered together, believing 
and proclaiming this crazy story that sounds like a fairy tale to everyone who's outside, but to us who believe, I believe with every ounce of my being that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior of the world, and he died and rose again. The fact that we have faith like this, the faith that compelled Barnabas to cry out for Jesus, that is an evidence of God's miracle. So if you have received that gift of faith, you'll do us well to sometimes kind of slow down, reflect and appreciate the unfathomable privilege that we have, that we believe God. Now, second point. Why did Jesus heal Bartimaeus? Okay, another obvious question, sort of, right? Well, isn't Jesus supposed to heal everybody? Not so. Now, he does have unlimited power. Nothing is impossible with God, Matthew 19. So he could if he wanted to, but he doesn't, you see. Jesus did not heal everyone he met. He's not a miracle vending machine. He made it clear that his miracles always had some sort, of, some sort of deeper meaning attached to it. In fact, in the Gospel of John, in Greek, whenever Jesus performed miracles, they're not called miracles, they're called signs, to convey some sort of deeper meaning attached to them. Now, especially at this moment, on this dusty road to Jericho, I told you earlier that it was probably early spring. How did I know that? It's because this is the last miracle that's recorded in Mark. Starting chapter 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem. His passion starts. The hour is now very, very near when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he will die for the sins of the world. See, at this moment, you would think that he's got bigger fish to fry. He's, he's pretty occupied about what he has to do at this moment. An outcast, a social that nobody cares about, eh? It's just another miracle, right? See, but if we think like that, that's a very human way of thinking. To us, Bartimaeus was nobody that, uh, somebody that nobody wanted. A person of no value, no worth, no dignity, but Jesus saw him in the complete reverse. He saw him as someone that deserved dignity and respect. Notice in verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, first he had to stop his entourage and the huge crowd, verse 46, and it says Jesus stood and then said. That word uh, stood in Greek uh, is called histemi, and it's a very particular word. Um, the, according to dictionary, it says to stand in attendance on someone, attend upon, to be the servant of. In other words, it's not just stopping and say what. It's just stopping and then looking intently at somebody. In the New Testament, there's only three people that Jesus histami. It's Bartimaeus, um, Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke, you know, the guy that climbed up the sycamore tree, and Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, as he died for faith, that son of man, histemi, to welcome him home. This blind beggar Bartimaeus belongs in pretty exclusive class, that Jesus would pay this sort of special attention to him. And it goes on. Verse 51, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? 
Now, in most miracles, Jesus, uh, did you notice that Jesus doesn't ask? He just knows what you need. And he just performs his miracles when, when he decides to heal. And with Bartimaeus, it's pretty clear what he needs, right? But even so, Jesus doesn't do that. He gives him proper respect to treat him like a human being, like a position of a waiter. Like, what would you like me to do for you? A servant's attitude. When do you think was the last time anybody asked Bartimaeus that question? Now, just stop for a moment. Imagine you're there and just appreciate the beauty of this moment. Jesus stopping and asking Bartimaeus, what would you like me to do for you? In most artists' rendition, this is a moment when Jesus touches this blind man. Now, that would be noble enough if it was one human being due to another. But remember who our God is, the one who is stooping down this low to care for Bartimaeus. It was not just a fellow human being. It was he who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. His name is holy, Isaiah 57. Creator of heaven and earth, King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. In Isaiah chapter 6, when there's a vision of the heavenly throne, even the sinless heavenly creatures, they have to avert their eyes because his glory is too much. It is that God who traversed eternity, stooped down and touched this forgettable, dirty, smelly, blind man that nobody cares about. This is a word picture of what John Milton called the great condescension, where we see God Almighty stooping down to care for this insignificant man. This is in direct contrast to our uh, flesh tendency. We love propping ourselves up, right? As soon as something good happens, we love to put it in our Instagrams, our accomplishments, our degrees, our possessions. See the great condescension of our Lord to care for this nobody, even on his way to Calvary. The social outcast, the Barnum, but the social outcast Barnabas, he mattered to God. He mattered to Jesus. Now, a couple of application points here. Perhaps the uh, obvious one is that to care for this one uh, forgotten man the way Jesus did, this is a model for us Christians to follow to imitate his humility, his sacrifice, willingness to stoop down, to care for someone that does not deserve it. If he traversed eternity to care for Bartimaeus, what does that mean for us? Perhaps there is someone that God is asking you to humble yourself and to serve. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, and if we forget, well, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? See Bartimaeus. See this picture of Jesus stooping down and touching Bartimaeus to heal. But more importantly, perhaps, there's greater, even greater story to behold at this moment. And that is this. If you're a Christian here today, this story of Bartimaeus, it's not something that happened 2,000 years ago and it doesn't matter anymore. No, this is your story. This is certainly my story. I am Bartimaeus. Compared to God's perfection and his holiness, 
I'm not all that different from a blind beggar in two ways. One, though I was never physically blind, but I was born with the same spiritual blindness. I was simple at birth, simple from the time my mother conceived me, David said. And in my heart of hearts, as I said before, I could not see God. I, I could only see myself. And as such, I was stuck with the same fate that Bartimaeus had, that one day, as a sinner, I would die. The wages of sin is death. And I was on the same road as Bartimaeus. Now, I've been a doctor for quite some time now. So I'm approaching my 30 years. And I filled out a lot of the death certificates. I care for university professors to millionaires. One time I even took care of Navy SEALs. And you know, when we draw our last breath, we all pretty much look the same. And at that moment, you know, it's just that the sheer feeling of emptiness, that all our accomplishments, our possessions, our friends and family, you all leave behind. There's nothing left. The only solution, the only cure to death is not modern medicine. It's not found in the hospitals. See, the cure is that unreasonable faith to believe that 2,000 years ago that God, in his great humility, traversed the eternity. In his great condescension, he was born in a dirty, smelly manger to seek and find Bartimaeus of this world like you and me. This is the last miracle recorded in Mark. Maybe because there was nothing else to talk about. This captures the essence of who our Lord is. This is a word, perfect word picture of the gospel. As if to say, what more could I tell you? This is me. This is who I am. What a wondrous, beautiful Savior we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. And finally, as we end, there's one more aspect of the story. Why did this man follow Jesus? In ESV, he says, Go your way, verse 52. But actually in Greek, it just says, go. In other words, Jesus didn't specify where you should go. Jesus didn't tell Bartimaeus to follow me. Now that he can see, now that he's made whole, Bartimaeus, he maybe should have gone back. Get his old job back, you know what I mean? Go back to his family. But instead, suddenly, without any hesitation, he starts to follow Jesus. Verse 52, and immediately, immediately he, Bartimaeus, recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. <laughs> he didn't even go back to take a shower. You know, he just started to follow Jesus. This sort of resolute determination, he threw away his cloak, which represented his old life. He leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. This is crazy. Why would anybody do this? Jesus didn't say, follow me. You can go do whatever you want. Come on, man. Maybe then again, perhaps the only explanation that's, that's reasonable here is that it wasn't just that his physical eyes opened. Rather, a lot more happened on this day that he became a new person. He became born again. He had crossed over from death unto life, John 5, 17. The old was gone. Now, behold, the new has come. He no longer lived for this world, 
but he was now on that road to the kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more sorrows, no more sickness, no more blindness. Now, with this new identity and destiny, what was he supposed to do? To go back to the people who didn't want him for the longest time? To stay on that road to death? No, that would be crazy. You see what I mean? This is very reminiscent of Peter's confession in John 6, 68. When everyone deserted Jesus, Jesus asked Peter, like, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, go away? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, for, uh, uh, for Bartimaeus, following Jesus was not something that he ought to do. That's who he was now. You see what I mean? With his new identity and new destiny, this is all wrapped up, this whole situation, who he was and where he's going, it is all wrapped up in one word, and that word is Christian. He was now a Christian. So as we end, um, one final question that I'd like everybody to con uh, consider and ponder. Who are we today? Are we followers of Jesus? Are we Christians? Especially as our world becomes more and more uh, atheistic, secular, and does not, it turn, it's turning more and more away from God. Living as a Christian, sometimes we too might feel like we're living as an outcast. But... If, you, if we have received the, the unfathomable gift of faith and made a decision to follow Jesus all the days of your life as our new identity and know that you're on the road to eternal life, that is our destiny. To be with him, the one who traversed eternity to find us. Then let us also agree with Simon Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Let us pray. Father, on this uh, Sunday morning, we thank you that you have called us from darkness into your marvelous light. And you have opened our eyes to see that you, are, you alone have the words of eternal life and we're on our way to be with you. Help us, Lord, to not turn back, but just like the way Bartimaeus did, to follow you with everything that we have in honor of your name, in honor of your glory. I pray for Redemption Hill, that you'll continue to do the beautiful work of the gospel that continues to happen here for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.